who's a more serious candidate in the Republican race, Chris Christie or Nikki Haley? I do not think that either of them will be the Republican nominee, but like Christie has some advantages that Haley does not. So I really think that he's going to be a player, at least in like the narrative. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, June 29th. Today, I'm joined by Teddy Schleifer to talk about why donors, both Republicans and Democrats, are so obsessed with Chris Christie and his kamikaze mission to take out Donald Trump in the 2024 Republican primary. It won't win him the race, but the punch Trump strategy could raise millions for Christie's super PAC. And speaking of 2024, Teddy also digs into why Washington reporters are dying to figure out who's funding the centrist organization, No Labels, which doesn't want anyone to know who's giving it money. And later, Eric Gardner swings by to discuss Elon Musk's legal headache, a trial over whether Tesla is responsible for its self-driving cars driving themselves off the road. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepsleep.me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by Teddy Schleifer to talk about the money story behind the Republican presidential primary in 2024, but also kind of the uh, moderate, mushy, middle, kind of like never Trump, little Democrat, a little former Republican action going on, which I feel like Teddy is embodied right now by Chris Christie. Chris Christie is obviously the former governor of New Jersey, ran for president himself, probably missed the moment back in 2012 when he should have run at the peak of his popularity. 
was a formal, informal Trump advisor for a while, is now turning against him and promising to just bring the battle axe to the debate stage and nuke Donald Trump. That is not a winning strategy for the Republican primary, but it will get him media attention. It could hurt Trump. And more to the point of our discussion, <laughs> donors, it sounds like, are kind of loving this shit. Is that right? That's right. Christie, I think, has has the widest delta of anybody running on the Republican side between what donors think and what regular people think. You know, maybe Trump has a similarly wide delta in in the other direction. Christie is not going to be the Republican nominee for president of the United States, but I would not be surprised if his super PAC is raising, you know, $20, 30000000 million by the end of all this. I mean, like, uh, I'm not saying that he's going to report that on his campaign finance report next month, but, you know, I think the super PAC I'm hearing has been very, very successful because there are lots of never, never, never Trumpers who, and Christie is running the most explicitly anti-Trump campaign. Actually, you could argue he's running the only anti-Trump <laughs> campaign of any Republicans who, who are running. So he is going to raise a tremendous amount, at least in his super PAC. And frankly, I know some Democrats who are thinking about seriously funding the Christie super PAC sort of as a bank shot anti-Trump strategy, the idea being, uh-huh. well, if you can get Christie, you know, a million bucks, maybe he can use that money to buy some small dollar donations on the hard side, on the campaign side, and then he can make the debate. And if he makes the debate, who knows what can happen? Who knows what, you know, how he'll provoke Trump. So there are lots of Republicans and some Democrats who are going to make Christie, uh, saying he's a serious candidate is maybe a bridge too far, but is going to make him a, a candidate who is well-financed in a way that, like, I think outstrips his actual public support. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I also think Christie, and he's benefited from this for a while. There's a delta between Republican voter support and media attention at this point. The biggest yes. uh, notch in this storyline is a poll from St. Anselm College in New Hampshire, where Christie, I feel like he thinks that's probably where he would do best among the flinty folk of New Hampshire and not the the Christians and farmers of Iowa. Back in, I think, March, Christie came in at a huge 1% in the St. A's poll of New Hampshire Republicans. But just last week, St. A's put out another poll and Christie was the biggest gainer going from one to six points. And yet that's nothing close to winning. Trump is leading New Hampshire 47, DeSantis 19, Christie six. And yet he continues to get Lots of media attention. <laughs> At that rate, he will be clearly the uh, Republican nominee by the end of the week. But look, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the the media attention, no surprise. Media wants conflict. Christie's giving them plenty of conflict. He's obviously charismatic and is willing to say things about Trump that other people uh, will not. And to some extent, he's like he's got nothing to lose, right? So he's able to run a campaign based on maybe less ego than other people because maybe he doesn't really seriously think he's going to win. So he's got media attention. He's got money. Like, you know, he's going to be a factor in a way that that is not true of people like Doug Burgum or even someone like Nikki Haley. I mean, I think you could ask Mm -hmm. who's a more serious candidate in the Republican race, Chris Christie or Nikki Haley. I do not think that either of them will be the Republican nominee, but like Christie has some advantages that Haley does not. So I really think that he's going to be a player, at least in like the narrative. Yeah. Again, feels like a very New Hampshire candidate, the sort of libertarian tell it like it is type has always done a little bit better in New Hampshire among Republicans and independents than Iowa or South Carolina. So speaking of his super PAC, who's ponying up? Like who's giving him money? You mentioned some Democrats. I also saw that you wrote in your piece about this for for Puck the other day, which everyone should go check out, by the way, 
Um, Steve Cohen, who is basically Bob, Bobby Axelrod from Billions, <laughs> owner of the Mets. <laughs> owner of the, uh, Mets, right. He gave a lot of money to Christie's Super PAC back in 2016, actually. It sounds like he's giving some money to Christie again. Who else is is a donor, either to Christie's campaign itself or uh, his Super PAC? And is all the money going to the Super PAC? Sure. So, so um, for folks who are not minding the calendar, I mean... Uh, you know, tomorrow is June 30th, which is the end of the fundraising quarter. It's the midway point of the year. So what's going to, it's kind of one of the best times of the year, honestly, for, for people in my profession, because in July, on in, on the 15th and on the 30th, we're going to see campaigns, second quarter fundraising reports. And you're also going to see every super PAC that's active in the presidential race is also going to file uh, at the end of the month. So you're going to get the most complete snapshot that we've had this entire race. We'll see for the first time. Ron DeSantis super PAC donors. We'll see, you know, how Trump has kind of done at, at hard dollar donations during a, a quarter in which he was indicted twice. Mm-hmm. We're going to see super PAC donors to every candidate. So, uh, how much has Larry Ellison put into Tim Scott's super PAC? How much has Burgum put into his cam- own campaign individually, or, or Vivek Ramaswamy putting into his own campaign? And one of the questions is just how well has, has the Christie Super PAC done and just who's put money in. Uh, yeah, so Steve Cohen is sort of the uh, the name that everyone talks about. You know, I think you can start with the Christie's 2016 list. Cohen is one of the people pushing him to run in 2012, as you mentioned, back in the day. You know, I would also, I would look at, I think that the core is going to kind of be the Wall Street crowd, which which is, the, you know, Christie was the governor of New Jersey. Yeah, so by the end of next month, we'll have a much, much better picture of who exactly is back in Christie, but I, I think it's going to be sort of the center-right, pro-Israel, cultural war truce, anti-tax, business moderates that, to be clear, like most of those people are going to DeSantis. I think that lots of Republican donors are almost settling from the outset this cycle, like whether or not they want DeSantis to be the Republican nominee or not. They know that he's the only person who can beat Trump realistically. So like, I think almost feel like their heart says Christie, but their wallets will say DeSantis. And that's just a recognition of kind of the, the race as it truly is. But Christie's going to raise a lot of money. And, and, and that's going to be partially delusion, partially emotion. But ultimately, uh, it'll add up to a lot of zeros. I want to ask you about another twinkly object of fascination for sure. uh, wealthy centrist donors and nobody else. Uh, and that is no labels. Tara, mm. Paul, Mary and I have talked about no labels a little bit. On past podcasts, she's she's written about their efforts to maybe draft Joe Manchin as a independent candidate into the 2024 race. Democrats are howling about this, kind of like they did back when Howard Schultz was talking about running for president back in 2020, that, you know, the only voters no labels would actually pull over would be sort of center left slash like swing voter dads. Uh, and that will eventually hurt Democrats. You were telling me before we jumped on, though, to record this, that Whoever is funding no labels and their efforts to gather signatures is an object of mystery in Washington. And a lot of reporters are are chasing this story. Can you tell the listeners why this is so interesting to you, DC Hacks? Sure. So no labels, even though it appears and to be a political party and, you know, has talking about and is trying to qualify as a political party in, in all 50 states. No labels is not technically a political party. It is technically a dark money 501c4 you know, social welfare advocacy organization, which means that it has uh, no requirement to disclose its donors, even though it is doing, you know, one of the most controversial things in, in today's politics. And there are, you're correct, I mean, there are tons of, of Democrats who are freaking out about this. And I think they see 
going after no labels donors, not only as like a public good because people should know who are financing political parties, um, but I think they also see it as like an opportunity or an, an advocacy goal to get no labels to stand down. So you have the media trying to figure out who the donors are because that's sort of our job. And lots of Democrats are trying to figure out who the donors are because they want to like get them to convince Nancy Jacobson, the, the founder and CEO of No Labels, to pull the plug. So you're right. It is, it is a subject of much mystery. And I would not be surprised if it leaks at some point or you know, No Labels has said that they're not going to go beyond the law in terms of what it requires them to disclose. So they haven't disclosed any donors. There have been some breadcrumbs that have been led, like over the last couple of weeks, reporters have started focusing more on a 527 group that is aligned with no labels and is sort of organized by some no labels leadership that has like, you know, there was a story in Politico this past week about like a canvassing firm that was tied to DeSantis that was paid by this no label sister organization. And you're sort of seeing stuff like that, which I think just reflects like the media's appetite to figure this out with very mm-hmm. little information. And so the, the calm strategy here, it feels like they are going to suffer through a lot of these these cuts because they're unwilling to kind of dress up the wound or whatever, whatever the metaphor needs to be here. So clearly, this is not a thought out strategy from a commerce perspective. But, you know, they're a C4 and, and they don't have to disclose donors. But there's going to be a lot of howling all the way through Election Day 2024 if they somehow manage to basically qualify in all 50 states on an independent campaign, on an independent committee, and never have to disclose donors, which is not what the Republican National Committee has to do or the Democratic National Committee does. But I guess it's partially an argument for transparency, and it's partially a just opportunity to go after you know what is indeed one of the most controversial outfits in politics today. Yeah. Note to all of you aspiring press secretaries and communications directors out there, you don't have to tell reporters everything. You also don't even have to cooperate all the time. But if you are just like openly hostile and ignore every single thing a reporter asks you, that's only going to make them want the story more. Teddy, thank you so much, man. Talk soon. You bet. When we come back, Eric Gardner is here to talk about whether Tesla's self-driving cars are putting Elon Musk in legal jeopardy. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. 
Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with Eric Gardner, the master of finding legal filings that lawyers don't want to be found. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Let's jump right into things. Uh, you've been following this case involving Tesla and Elon Musk. That's really pretty extraordinary in which Tesla is being sued. This is a, a civil case over the death of a man who crashed his car while the so-called autopilot feature was engaged. Elon himself has been describing his cars as self-driving for years and years and years, even though evidently they cannot actually drive themselves safely. But so far, he's kind of avoided real legal repercussions. Is there anything that makes you think that this case might be different? Yeah, I mean, this case has gone on for a few years. I see a pretty extraordinary investigatory effort to find out what exactly the state of technology is. And this is the first time that a death is going to a jury. So I think that is in itself pretty uh, extraordinary, at least a death right. over autonomous driving. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, you know definitely something to watch. We have testimony or at least videos from Musk himself that are going to be played to the jury. I think that's interesting. I, I think we have a lot of depositions with Tesla engineers. What I see here is a pretty intensive effort to really figure out the technology and figure out whether... It's unreasonably dangerous. What consumers believe about the technology and you know whether or not uh, Tesla should be held responsible for instances where a driver has his hands off the wheels and the car is careening to a barrier on a highway. Let's talk a little bit about the video evidence and this Elon deposition, because there's, there's sort of a funny or, or at least ironic backstory to how that evidence might end up in the case. Sure. Well, for one thing, these are videos of Elon Musk from a few years ago touting self-driving, touting the technology, saying that it was safe, saying that autonomous driving was a technology that was solved, that sort of thing. And the question really is not whether he misled consumers. The question is really like, did consumers come away with an impression of the vehicle and then did their experience not match whatever expectation that they had? And so that really is the legal query that a jury is going to be thinking about. Now, Elon Musk and Tesla very vigorously tried to avoid a deposition here. They questioned why it was relevant. And then once the judge said it was relevant, they said, well, you don't really need much more. But they got cute. They said that they couldn't verify that these were real videos, even though, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people actually saw right. the conference. Kara Swisher was on stage with him. She, she's yeah. been tweeting and, and talking on the podcast all along about how she was very much there with him. He really did say those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think anyone doubts it. So for him to get up and say, yeah, public figures are, you know, victimized by deep fakes all the time. How are we supposed to know? Well, the judge very rightfully said, well, there's an easy way to figure this out. You can, you know, say that you remember being there. And even if you don't remember being there, are you going to really doubt that you're on stage with Kara Swisher? <laughs> yeah. Or can't you just look at the video and say, hey, that's eerily familiar? So it was pretty ridiculous. And, 
eventually the judge just got tired of all the excuses and said, go ahead, do the deposition. So that's going to happen in the next few weeks and the trial is going to happen at the end of next month. Right. So there's some video evidence and also a video deposition that might now come into court that, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. There was this other case recently with Justine Sue. This is a woman who was injured when her Tesla vehicle steered itself into a curb. That case sort of fell apart because the Tesla team pointed to all the warnings that they do give drivers telling them, you know, don't take your eyes off the road, keep your hands on the wheel, et cetera, et cetera. In that case, from what I understand, they didn't try to make a case around the fact that Elon himself has been contradicting those safety warnings for years by hyping up the car's self-driving abilities beyond what it can actually do. So it sounds like if the Huang family, in the case of the death of this young man, if they can get all those statements and video into evidence, that could be really powerful and maybe the outcome could be different here. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just the Musk videos, you know, him touting autonomous vehicles as being, you know, a soft problem. It's the marketing from Tesla itself basically saying, look at this self-driving. The person is not driving the car. The person is only behind the wheel for legal reasons, that sort of thing. So that's going to be used to rebut Tesla, which says, you know, oh, any sane driver would have their hands on the steering wheel. We're just a helping tool. We're just there to you know assist drivers in the process the drivers are going to come back and the family you know of the this deceased uh, individual is going to come back and say that's not what your marketing said that's not what elon musk said on stage they were telling this as you know basically the, the car driving itself and so the expectation of a consumer was that this was going to be safe to do it's a you know a very interesting give and take because it's not clear to me how it's going to end up the jury in in the first case you know clearly believed tesla but in the second case that we see a lot more investigatory effort. You know, we have depositions with engineers and we have marketing videos and we have Musk videos. And that could be very powerful emotional um, evidence that sways a jury. So we're going to have to watch this pretty carefully. Yeah, I mean, you've talked before about this consumer expectations test that it sounds like is going to get used in court, which basically says, you know, if the average customer would sort of reasonably be misled by Musk's public commentary here or the Tesla marketing into thinking that a car that is sold as being self-driving can actually, you know, drive itself, that's a real problem for them. And obviously, you know, this man who lost his life, Walter Huang, it sounds like he was actually being pretty reckless too. He was looking at his phone. He was maybe playing a video game. The Tesla legal team is going to push that argument pretty hard. But, you know, speaking as just a non-lawyer, it does seem like that consumer expectations test is going to be pretty hard to overcome. Yeah, I mean, and that's the reason why the consumer expectations test is not very uh, much used in courts, you know, only in a few jurisdictions, only in California, and only in particular times when the technology is pretty not complex and people can, you know, have expectations in the first place. Do we even get to the consumer expectations test? But here, because of, you know, everything that that Tesla did on the marketing front, a judge is going to come and say, yeah, this, this is at play. And so, we're going to have this give and take about you know what ordinary consumers believed about these cars. It goes beyond what happened in this one instance. You know, it's, it goes beyond what uh, Mr. Huang himself believed about his car. It goes into what an ordinary person, what you and I might have, might have thought after listening to all these years of Elon Musk talking and listening to Tesla's brochures and, and their videos and, and all that. He was on you know CBS and he was on all these TV stations 
Canadians and talking about this sort of thing. And that, you know, certainly led people to have a certain impression about the product. And it's interesting and important because we're just starting right now in this new age of very advanced AI technology. And, you know, uh, this is going to come up more. It's going to come up not just for Tesla vehicles or Thomas driving. It's going to come up in different sort of contexts about what it is we believe that these machines can do. I mean, we're really swimming in all sorts of hype when it comes to AI these days. And so there's going to be ramifications for when these things go wrong. And, you know, the question is, you know, what is it that you and I believe about what these systems are capable of? Yeah. And, and look, you know, whether you think Elon Musk is a visionary or a con man or a little bit of both, and, and, and I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, depending on the day of the week, you know, it's clear that a little bit of hyperbolic salesmanship works when you're talking about getting your rockets to Mars. And, and it's possibly negligent or, or even criminal when you're doing it, talking about a vehicle that people need to actually operate on the roads when, when people's lives are on the line. There is a sort of Theranos element to misleading customers here and in, in sort of how the product actually works. But Eric, what do you think are the bigger implications here if Tesla were to lose this case? Because there have been hundreds of crashes in which autopilot was involved, and some of them have been fatal. Does this sort of open Tesla up to even more legal headaches down the road? It does, and I think it'll also, you know, encourage companies, especially Tesla, but also other com- companies, to be very careful about how they market, be very careful about how they design the products too, to in- promote the safety as best they can, and to give disclaimers at all possible times. So, you know, there are ways for you know a company like Tesla to limit the fallout from a case like this, but certainly will encourage plaintiffs to come forward and to and to sue over over mishaps. And the question is whether a company like Tesla can then respond and to tighten up its system, make sure that consumers know what a car is and can't do. And this is basically going to be our future where we like have a, you know, a give and take constantly about the sort of things where there's a hype cycle about what technology can do. Then there's a mishap and then the company developing technology will, will pull back a little bit and, and to be a little bit careful because of the liability out there. Yeah, well, look, I'm, I'm rooting for this technology to work one day. I, I love the idea of a self-driving car. I would 100% not get into one marketed to self-driving right now. That Just the, the thought alone is terrifying. But um, Eric, thanks as always for coming by and, and talking through all this stuff. Totally fascinating case. And keep us updated as it unfolds. Absolutely. Going to trial next month, so we we'll, should have a verdict. And I'll uh, probably be on again and we'll talk about you know the result. Great. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.